0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Invested in Our New Reality. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. I'm a technology journalist, radio and podcast host, former startup executive, and a national technology columnist to the CBC. And I'm thrilled to be hosting this season of the podcast. For the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on the idea of scaling up through conversations that empower growth and success. As you'll hear, Season 10 features founders who participate in the Scale-Up platform, which is delivered by Invest Ottawa with the support of the Government of Canada through FedDev Ontario. Let's get started. Today, we're going to be learning more about Advanced Symbolics, Inc., also known as ASI. It's a company in the Ottawa area, which is using AI to change market research, not just here in Canada, but also around the world. Erin Kelly is the co-founder and CEO of ASI, and I'm delighted to have her with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Angela. Great to be here. So, Erin, I really do want to learn about your company, but let's start off with this. I mean, we've just been through... Oh, is it? three years? Is it two years? You kind of lose track of time, but we've been through a pandemic over the last couple of years. It's it's changed a lot of things. What uh, was the impact that the pandemic had on market research?
1: Well, basically all the market research that you did before the pandemic is questionable now, whether or not it's still valid going forward, because people aren't going to the office necessarily the way they used to. They have different routines. Maybe They used to eat out more often and now they're not. If they do, perhaps they want different things. And so people are researching more and more now because they can't rely on the market research they had before. But also technology has evolved quite a bit over the three years because we were all us tech people were at home innovating, right? We weren't traveling, we weren't doing other things. So you've seen a lot more tools come out. So I think companies now realize they don't want to have just one way of measuring things. We see this really, really drastically in television ratings, for example, where companies are saying now they're not going to rely on just one, say, ratings company. They want to have many different tools to measure things because if things start to go off on one tool, it becomes a bit of a red flag for others. So those are just some of the ways in which market research and the measurement of the market has changed.
0: You know, it's interesting that you say that, Erin, and I think it is very true, because if this had been an event, the pandemic had been an event that lasted three months, we could have left some of those behaviors behind. But three years is a long time. Like, I look at so many aspects of my life. The way I commute has changed, where I work has changed, um, what I watch, what I eat, how often I cook. So many aspects are different. and And actually, I didn't even really think about that, because I Almost forgotten, forgotten about my life before the pandemic. But that is fascinating. That that some of that data may have to be thrown out, and and people have to to take a a second look at things. So let's talk about your company. What is Advanced Symbolics doing in this market research space?
1: So Advanced Symbolics is disrupting how we do public opinion research. So in the past, the traditional market research it's you know, very expensive. You go out, you call people, you have web panels, you send out a survey, you're asking people questions. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Of course, when you ask people questions, sometimes they don't answer your question. I mean, one of the challenges in traditional market research is the majority of people won't take your survey. So you're getting the very keen people, people usually who want to influence market research, who have complaints or what have you, that will participate in your survey. You're at risk of getting a biased sample, you're asking them questions, and so they're giving you an answer, but you don't know if they ever thought about that issue before you asked, right? Like, and And there's also a bit of altruism that goes into it. Like if I ask you, are you concerned about climate change? You might say, of course, I'm concerned about climate change. But are you? Are you actually very concerned? Are you taking action? Or are you just sort of telling us because you want to look like a concerned citizen? So market research has long had a lot of challenges, not least of which is when you call people now, they're on a cell phone, they're not even necessarily in the city you think they're in. So what Polly is doing is moving market research from the survey to going on social media platforms, but maintaining the statistical validation of traditional market research. So we're not just randomly listening to keywords on social media, we're not taking the fire hose, we're creating a randomized controlled sample of population so that we can properly measure public opinion and by doing that, we can use it for very accurate forecasting as well.
0: Now, I know that your company uses artificial intelligence to allow you to do that market research. What does that mean for your clients? What is the value that the extra value that it brings to your clients?
1: The extra value is that we can look at many, many more conversations. We can get into really niche markets that you perhaps couldn't reach before. Like, what do transgender people think about this? What do moms with kids age one to five whose kids are skinny think of it we do drug recall work you know a lot of people don't know what kind of medications they're taking so it's hard to do a survey but you can see by how they talk on social media the probability that they're on certain medications really important to mention here we don't collect any personally identifiable information it's all k-anonymity and all of that we're gdpr compliant but you can do much more in-depth market research but the main thing too is that you can get it immediately so instead of waiting one or two weeks for that market research report, you can get it in under five minutes right from your desktop and cost effectively. So you can sell it up better, cheaper, faster. Like it used to be you'd be spending tens of thousands of dollars on market research. Now you can get a good, solid, full market research report for $100. Or you can do it all you can eat for $1,000 a month. So it's much more accessible, much more affordable. So everybody can afford it. Single consultants who are you know, doing consulting papers for their customers can get validated, statistically validated market research. Whereas before that would have been prohibitive. They would have had to spend $10,000 for it. Now they can get it very easily online immediately whenever they need it. Now your company has
0: been growing in recent years, even through the pandemic. What have been the most pivotal moments in that scale of journey so far?
1: The hardest thing we ever did, we were developing the on-demand Ask poly tool. And we were really strict with ourselves. Sometimes when you have investors, you feel very pressured to hurry up and come up with your product. And our first iterations of the product were difficult to use. You know, they required Boolean searches, tagging, the customer had to do a bit of work. I'm so glad that we decided, no, we're going to go for that really easy to use user interface. And thank God we did, because we came out with this new product about a month after ChatGPT which of course is very easy to use, right? It's just got that line. Ours is not Chat GPT, but it it's easy to use like that. And I'm so glad because those other tags and Boolean searches are, would look outdated now. So I think that was a pivotal moment for us where we sat down and we said, do we throw out the two years we've done because it's not good enough and start again? And it was a difficult decision, but it turned out to be the right decision.
0: You know, having said that, I look at the landscape in artificial intelligence. It's never still. It's always evolving. How does your company, seeing as as you, artificial intelligence is is a core part of the product, how does your company adapt so it stays ahead of the game?
1: Great question. We are always asking ourselves, what's the next thing that's going to kill us? What's the next thing? We, of course, go to conferences like all the time. We're reading. We're very tied in with what's going on in universities. Um, we have a team of PhDs, so we're connected with professors. And so we're staying up to date on all the latest research. We enter competitions to keep ourselves up to date. So for example, when we when we invested in learning other languages, two-byte languages like uh, Arabic and Chinese, when we introduced that to the AI, we purposely went into competitions where we we're competing against other technologies, making sure that we were coming out ahead. So we do all of these things to challenge ourselves. (laughs) That's fascinating. That's fascinating.
0: So it it is a matter of, of sort of challenging yourself and also really always looking at the landscape to say, well, what's coming around the corner and how can we, how can we beat it?
1: Absolutely. And trying to beat yourself. Like we all the time test Polly to make sure she's accurate. We give her, like when we first were developing Polly, we actually would put her on trying to forecast the American Idol winners. Like this is when she was just in the lab to see, can she get that right? Does she get elections right? Does she get things where we know what the outcome is? And we put ourselves out there. We put it at the press release. Like we really put our feet to the fire. But we do that in order to make sure that we are always sharp and that the AI is always
0: sharp. You talk about the prediction that, that Ask Polly does. Is there, is there one that
1: stands out to you that she got right Oh, there's a lot. Brexit was like sort of the pivotal moment because that was in 2016 when we were first coming commercial. Polly was coming out of the lab and everybody in the world was saying it was going to be Remain. We actually, Polly was saying it was going to be Remain until three days before Brexit. And then she changed her mind three days before Brexit. She said it would be an exit. And she said it'd be an exit at 52%. And we sent out a press release. And then we found out we were the only ones that were saying that there, oh, there were a you few sent others. Out a, the you
0: mean you sent it Don't tell me you sent out the press release before the results we were announced. We
1: did, we did, <laughs> and so we got booked on CBC, and this was very stressful. The night that Brexit was happening, and of course because they're they're ahead of us in time, like I was going to be potentially coming into the studio, still not knowing the result, but there were going to be three pollsters in the studio, and CBC actually called me the night before and said. Like, everybody is saying it's going to be Remain. Nigel Farage has just gone on and said that everybody go home. It's going to be Remain. The best pollsters in the world have said it's going to be Remain. And they said, are you sticking by? Like, do you want to change your forecast? Because you're going to be on tomorrow. And by the way, you're the only one who says it's going to be exit. So, I mean, I ran to our team and I said, <laughs> I'm going to look like a fool tomorrow. And they're like, I don't know what to say, Aaron. Polly says it's going to be an exit. Your choice. So I said, we stick with our predictions, going to be an exit at 52%. That's exactly what it was. And when I came into the studio the next day, it was supposed to be a 20-minute conversation. It was supposed to be on a panel, but they told the other two, don't come in. You didn't get it right. We just want to talk to her. Right? So then I had to have the whole narrative and I hadn't slept all night. So that that really <laughs> sticks out for me.
0: <laughs> I love that story. I will have to say very bold of you because it was really tight, you know, it was really tight. And and I remember that time. I do remember so many of the pollsters saying, I mean, the assumption that it was that it would come out with a remain and it was quite a bit of a shock when it went the other way. Talking to other entrepreneurs that are listening to this, um, what advice do you have for them? People that are at the stage uh, where they've started, they've got something, they have a product market fit, perhaps right, they have a couple of clients, but they're ready to scale.
1: I would say two things. Number one, find a mentor. Even if you're brilliant and all that, having a mentor, somebody who has done it before, especially if you're going into markets you're not familiar with. It's just so great to have a mentor, not only for the knowledge share, but for the Shoulder to cry on sometimes because being an entrepreneur can be very lonely. It is very lonely. And then the second thing I would say is be bold. I mean, if you've got product market fit, listen, you're you're the startup. No one's heard of you. You need to be bold. And that's why we sent out the press releases. Hey, worst comes to worse. I mean, we fall on our sword, but it's not like we were the top dog to begin with. So You put out the press release. We actually had a documentary made on us talk about tight elections because we did another one for the 2019 election, which was a minority government, as you know, in Canada. And we had to give our predictions for that, too, and all the other pollsters as well. And we came out on top. So be bold because, I mean, you have to be bold in order to stand out when you're the new guy in town, right? The new gal. Mm, The new gal in town. (laughs) I find that quite
0: fascinating, this idea of finding a mentor. So so let me just dive into that a little bit deeper. What is the kind of personality or character or traits that makes for a good mentor of a startup company or even the founder of a startup company like yours? Like, is it technical experience? Is it, you know, they are a serial entrepreneur? Are they on your board of advisors? You know, are they a sales and marketing expert? Like, what should people be looking for in finding that mentor?
1: Well, the ideal mentor is a polymath, right? (laughs) They're the sales and marketing guru. Like that's why I say get somebody who's done it before because that person, if they've been an entrepreneur and they've had success, they've been that polymath. Even though they might've been an engineer, they had to learn sales and marketing. They had to learn finance because as an entrepreneur, you're the cheap cook and bottle washer. So somebody who has been a founder has learned all of those things. You obviously have to find somebody who really gels with you, but you need, I'm gonna call it gentle honesty. You want the person to tell you the truth. You don't want them to tell you, but you don't want them to be too rough with you because you're already feeling kind of sensitive. So having that sort of gentle, honest person who can steer you in the right direction, but do it in such a way that you're going to listen because they're being gentle about it. I mean, that's what's worked for me. I've been really lucky that way, that I, I had good mentorship and you know good guidance because it really, really helps to have somebody to talk to, to get advice from, to bounce ideas off of who understands where you're coming from. It's not theoretical for them. It's not something they've read in a magazine. They've been in your shoes. So you're going to take their advice more seriously because they've been there. And it, it's just valuable, valuable advice. That's the number one thing I would say you should do. If you don't have a mentor, go find one now. That's
0: great advice. I'll leave you with this one thought. It came to me as we were having the conversation. Your first book will be titled "Gentle Honesty," right? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's phrased in a in a really uh, good way. I think people definitely need constructive criticism, but that idea of Keeping things real, but please be gentle with it is an important philosophy in those kind of relationships. But I look forward to interviewing you again when you finish writing that book. So <laughs> so Aaron, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for being so honest throughout our conversation here. And uh I can't wait to hear what your predictions are for the next set of elections. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's always like, you know, you hear about pollsters talking about how it's become even more difficult now to really figure out where things go. So it's it's fascinating to hear about the role that, that AI could play in detecting the sort of the undercurrents that, that maybe people are not getting in polls. I find that fascinating. But thank you so much. I, it's been fascinating to talk to you today. And, and thanks for telling us more about ASI and the, and the work that you're doing in the market research field. Thank you so much, Angela. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation today and that you'll stay tuned for more great discussions with innovators and entrepreneurs in our next few episodes. For now, though, I'm Manjula Salvaraja, and I look forward to speaking with you again on Invested in Our New Reality.